This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free podcast series. I'm your host, Steve Dale, with not one but two of my favorite people ever, and they know one another too. Dr. Ken Martin is a veterinary behaviorist, and Debbie Martin is a licensed veterinary technician and a specialist in behavior. I am sure you've seen these guys speak at veterinary conferences. They're the author of, together, author of Puppy Start Right Foundation Training for the Companion Dog. And our conversation will tie into all of that, but this is actually where I begin. I'll start with you, Debbie. You know, ladies first, I'll do that. Uh, When you first heard about Fear Free, and I know you were there from day one. I was there, too, from day one, and I know you were there. I know this notion resonated with you. That's probably even an understatement. Why? Uh, well, I remember I remember the day I was actually sitting in the office where I am right now, and Marty Becker called me on the phone to talk to me about this new idea that he was playing around with and wanted to see if I'd be interested in getting involved and Having been in general practice for over 14 years, being a head tech at a couple of the hospitals I worked in, um, it resonated with me. I was in behavior at that point, specialized in behavior, but had been trying to educate general practitioners and also veterinary technicians on using low stress or fear-free techniques with their patients, but it felt like it was hard to get it that snowball effect going. And Marty was talking about really making it happen. And boy, did he. Uh, she, yeah, he sure <laughs> did. Uh, Dr. Martin, your same question to you. Yeah, so there hasn't been a more transformative movement that's changed the way veterinarians practice besides fear-free. I mean, it's something that we, we're able now to incorporate behavior in everything we do with every patient and improve their welfare. So it is like, in my opinion, one of the greatest advancements in uh, veterinary medicine and the treatment and improving the welfare of animals than anything that has come for years and years and years. And I think it probably is gonna be for a long time too. I can't think of something trumping it. Uh, you, You know what, to me, what's interesting is that In veterinary medicine, an idea comes along, something comes along, whether it be a new product, whether it be a new idea, a new way of doing something, and it takes a long time to catch on. It takes a long time even for professionals to hear about it because everyone's so busy, you know, and you can't read everything. You can't be up on everything. I understand that. Fear Free kind of took off from the start and gained momentum very, very quickly uh, at least that's my observation, Dr. Martin. And, and I would agree with that. Uh, of course, veterinary medicine can be very stressful. Um, it's not. It, it's stressful when you, you you have to do things to animals which you love and is why you got into this profession. That um, you know is uh, painful for them or makes them uncomfortable or they're sick or they're feeling under the weather. And so if there's ways that we can do and treat animals with reducing fear, anxiety, and stress, then we as veterinarians are a lot happier with what we do every day. And a lot safer for it, too. Debbie, there's a story that you tell that I've retold 
many times, I give you credit, many times on stage uh, when I talk about Fear Free. And I, I'm going to get it wrong here, so I'll just try to do the best I can. But something to the effect that there was a dog, and it was a larger dog. Maybe it was a German Shepherd dog, knowing you. It might have been a Malinois. I don't know. But it was the uh, client's dog. And the dog was not cooperating. And the veterinarian called in a technician, then another tech, and another and another. And it took like four or five people to hold this dog down. And what really got to me is you talked about how the next day your back was killing you and you felt like you were fighting 40 people. And then you said, imagine how this dog felt. Right. Yeah. It was eye-opener to me. I was in my mid to late 20s and I was actually getting ready to go on vacation, which don't get very many vacations as a technician. I was really excited about going to the beach. <laughs> and uh, not only did I have troubles getting out of bed, but I also had scratch marks and bruises on my legs and arms from restraining this dog. And knowing how stiff I was and how uncomfortable I was, yeah, my, my thought then went to this sweet dog that was forgiving immediately after all this restraint came right back and gave me kisses. And, um, you know, he, he probably was suffering even a lot more. It's about a 40 pound, uh, hound mix actually, actually named Domino. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that all these years later, you remember the dog's name and probably can even visualize what you mm -hmm. guys were doing and in a way not feeling right about it, but didn't know another way to do it. Today, Debbie, we know there's a right. better way to do it. Right. All right. Absolutely. So, so you guys, uh, I remember hearing uh, the first Fear Free talk. Uh, that And we were there together, Debbie. I was one of the speakers. You were one of the speakers. And you talked about fear, anxiety, and stress. And you showed red zone, yellow zone, and probably green zone. And you showed all that and then described what these zones are and the importance of keeping an emotional record as well as the medical record. And as far as I know, maybe others spoke about it before you. Maybe but to my knowledge, you were the first one to talk about this. Well, a lot of that came from the Fear Free Certification Program and really kind of formalizing that format. I, I think a lot of progressive hospitals had already started doing something similar to this. In fact, colleagues of mine, veterinary technician specialists in behavior, were implementing that in their general practices already. So it had become kind of their best practices, at, you know, as far as... Um, following along, not just the medical aspect of things, but also the emotional record and what works for that animal and what didn't work for that animal. So the next time that they came in for a visit, we could make it as smooth as possible instead of having to do as much fact finding. And Dr. Martin, you know, uh, I, I would argue that even professionals, technicians and, and veterinarians sometimes don't recognize what might be subtle signs of fear, anxiety, and stress. And while that's not the purpose of this podcast, I mean, I'd love to talk about that because that's a whole different and I think very important conversation, either misreading or not recognizing signs in animals, even people who work with them and know a lot, obviously, and work with them every single day. Do you think that's true or am I overstating it? I would, I would agree with you 100%, Steve. Um, essentially, 
you have trained to, to initially, I think, you know, in, in veterinary medicine, we didn't have much background about behavior. Behavior wasn't as prevalent. And, uh, you know, you would oftentimes overlook that. And certainly uh, people would, would think, okay, I'm bringing my dog to the veterinary hospital. I know it's going to be stressful. Maybe they think personally, well, I don't like going to the doctor. You know, uh, I don't like getting shots. I don't like uh, having my temperature taken, especially how we take the temperature of pets. Um, and those patients are stressed and they anticipate, well, you know, it's kind of expected that they, they're going to be stressed, but the reality is, is that it doesn't have to be. So in assessing the patient's fear, anxiety, and stress with each and every veterinary visit, um, there are things that we can do to um, tweak the physical exam, tweak our social interactions with them. Um, there are pre-veterinary visit pharmaceuticals. There are medications, nutritional supplements that we can do um, to help patients to be less afraid, less anxious, and less stressed, um, and subtle body language that be, can really can be precursors to uh, dogs or cats showing aggression in the veterinary hospital. Well, one thing we can do, Debbie, and I want to stress that I'm saying one thing we can do, because Fear Free is far more than about treats, but one thing we can do is what is called the treat ladder. Can you explain what that is for starters for people who don't know? Yeah, well, we introduced the concept of a treat ladder or a reinforcement hierarchy in the flagship course, the what we're kind of referring to the level one fear-free certification program. The first course that came out, it was it was mentioned in there about finding out what is it that a dog or cat really likes? What what is it for that individual animal? Something that they would work for and look forward to or get excited about. And that's kind of, we talked about developing a treat ladder that kind of gives a hierarchy to that. So some dogs, it might be, um, you know, peanut butter is really high up on the list of things, but other dogs don't like the stickiness of peanut butter and they may find that not something tasty or yummy for them. And some dogs would find a tennis ball even better than peanut butter or canned cheese or chicken or shrimp or whatever. So it's going to vary from individual to individual. And that's the cool part about it, but also maybe the more challenging part about it. I always tell people, I wish I could tell you do X, Y, and Z, and it will work with every patient. And unfortunately, that's not how it works because we all have individual preferences, not only as anim you know, our animals and pets, but also ourselves. Not everyone likes Brussels sprouts or asparagus or steak or chicken just like people. Yeah, exactly. Right. Now, the, now the treat ladder can be used, first of all, we're talking primarily dogs, but to, to make it clear, the same concept, uh, Debbie, can be used for cats as well, correct? It can, it can. And, and Fear Free uh, teamed up with Blue Buffalo to, and us to develop a treat ladder for dogs, basically, to kind of explain it a little bit more. Seems like we, we talked about it in that level one course, but we didn't really solidify the education or understanding around it. So we've started to develop a handout that's gonna be available to fear-free certified professionals to kind of explain it a little bit further and maybe conceptualize the whole use of the treat ladder. So is the hope, Dr. Martin, that over time, the dog associates, or cat, associates the treat, the amazing treat, if you can get to that point. And we'll talk about how to get there in a moment.
But when, once you get to that point where the dog is like, ah, yay, I've got it, and is not worried about anything except I want more of that maybe is the only worry. Uh, at that point is the hope that the dog actually associates the veterinary visit with that amazing treat, and therefore it's all positive. Absolutely, Steve. So there's a concept in psychology called classical conditioning or classical counter conditioning. And classical conditioning essentially is changing a neutral emotional state to a positive emotional state by adding something pleasant to the patient. And then counter conditioning is changing a negative emotional state to a positive emotional state by adding something pleasant to the patient. And here we're talking about with a, a, a treat ladder, we're talking about food. And different dogs, as well as cats, are going to have different preferences. There are going to be, um, you know, something that's kind of mediocre. It's like, I could take it or leave it, unless I was really, really hungry, right? Then our preferences may change. Um, but in, in stressful environments um, or with distractions, we need higher value reinforcers. And those high and barrel reinforcers most commonly are going to be treats. So the veterinary hospital can be a very stressful situation for a majority of pets. Um, and uh, it's going to be a more distracted environment for a lot of pets. So that's where we need to consider using the really, really high value treats um, for our patients to help to change that emotion response. And as long as the patient will eat and consume and swallow the treat, you theoretically can change a negative emotional state to a positive emotional state. So it's making that experience better for them. So here's the way I put it, and I'm thinking, Dr. Martin, you can put it in a much more scientific way, that our dogs and cats are kind of like guys. They can't multi multitask. So if, if the dog is really enjoying devouring that treat, little piece of hot dog, whatever it is, and loving it and going crazy for that treat, then the dog at the same time can't be thinking, oh, what's next? That guy with the white coat or maybe not white coat is going to come at me or that woman's going to come at me with a syringe and can't think about both at the same time, just like, as I said, guys aren't very good at that either. But I bet you can do this in a much more scientific way. So, so exactly. There's essentially our constraints on learning. And uh, if you're afraid, fear inhibits appetite. If you're stressed, stress inhibits appetite. So as long as the animal can consume um, a resource, a reinforcer, it will change the way the animal feels about it. But what if you can't? So what if the most amazing, miraculous treat appears and the dog or cat is not interested? Well, what's next? Yeah, that sometimes happens. And that is information uh, to the veterinary professional, that is information to the pet owner, um, that the, the, the patient is over threshold and we cannot change their emotional state. So we need to alter our social interactions with them. Uh, we, we, may, we may need to back off, calm down, give the patient a break. And a lot of that's gonna depend on what procedure the patient actually needs to, to undertake when they are at the veterinary hospital. But there are times where when there's high level of fear, anxiety, and stress, there's high level of distraction, and the animal is not taking treats, if, there, if it is a need, the animal, the animal has to have this procedure done, sometimes we'll consider sedation. The patient may be sedated so that he doesn't remember it, um, right? There are a lot of times I know if you or I went to the hospital and the doc said, hey, I'm going to do this. It's only going to take a minute. It's going to hurt really bad, but it's only going to take a minute. You'd be like, hey, doc, can you give me something for the pain or can you at least knock me out for it, right? We would always opt for that. Well, our animals can't tell us that. So um, we need to be 
proactive and we need to assess that. And then the other is um, if we anticipate that the animal is going to show a high level of fear, anxiety, and stress going to the veterinary hospital, we can use pre-veterinary visit pharmaceuticals, which are medications that reduce fear, anxiety, and stress. Some of those medications can also be used to reduce pain, but then we can also consider um, using nutritional supplements in milder cases that can reduce fear, anxiety, and stress so that the patient is more likely to. So we have this gradient. We have a, a fear, anxiety, and stress scale. And uh, we look at where the patient is on the scale and we look at treat consumption, but we also have this concept of a treat ladder, where we're assessing that when the patient is more stressed or when the patient is more anxious, we need higher value treats. And if the animal took that treat at home, but doesn't take it at the veterinary hospital, that is information and it tells us the animal's emotional state. So this means, Debbie, that we no longer need ever, and I did say ever, to call <laughs> every technician in the practice and then uh, oh, by the way, send an email to the practice a mile away. Call all their technicians into your office to hold down a chihuahua. We don't need to do that anymore. No, we don't. We can use we can use other forms of restraint um, and use a lot of distraction techniques. And a majority of pets, really, it's like the needle sticks or the nail trims oftentimes aren't what upset them. It's being held still and being restrained and being touched in sensitive areas by distracting them with something that they're enjoying. Sometimes they don't even realize that they've gotten an injection or had a physical exam because they're just having a good time and not being held down or held still. So it can make really positive. One thing I really want to emphasize though, is that on the treat ladder for dogs, and it's for cats too, we haven't done one for cats yet, but it's really important to realize that we need to use high value treats or reinforcers in high distracted environments, not just when they're afraid. If you wait to see fear and anxiety and stress in your patients to start bringing in treats, it's too late. And most of the time, they're not going to take the treats at that point. You've already missed the opportunity to create that positive association. So it's really important to realize that the veterinary hospital is a high distraction environment. You want to pull out the good stuff at the beginning. Don't start with those dry, crunchy treats that I wouldn't even think about eating and my dog probably wouldn't even eat if I put it in his bowl at home because it's not going to work in a high distraction environment like the vet hospital, even if the dog likes being there and is enjoying all the attention they're getting. High value treats from the start, really important. And Dr. Martin started to touch on this. It's also really important that they are pre-approved treats because if we only pull out peanut butter or cheese at the vet hospital, we don't know, one, does that dog like peanut butter or cheese? And two, if they start to avoid it, is it because they're associating it with getting poked and prodded and they don't like being poked and prodded? The information of this is his favorite treat at home, but he won't eat it here is a way to educate the owners that that's because he's worried about what we're going to do. And we really need to think about decreasing his anxiety about the situation so that he's more likely to consume those treats. She's brilliant. All, all wonderful points. I mean, really important points that people don't necessarily think about, Debbie. I do want to add just a couple things onto that. I mean, wouldn't it be even better if that positive association for people who do 
get their dogs as puppies, and I realize that most don't, or get their cats as kittens, and I realize, again, that most do not. But for those who do, wouldn't it be great if those puppies could take their puppy training class? First of all, if they had and went to a dog training class in the first place, that's positive reinforcement, but that that class was held somewhere at the veterinary clinic, maybe in the front office somewhere, you know, in the waiting area when otherwise it's closed, maybe post-COVID when we can do these things again. But nevertheless, isn't that because then not only does the puppy have a positive association, but also the pet parent does. And in my view, there are so many veterinary technicians that are underemployed that can do much more than we give them to do. Their talents far exceed what we give them to do. They could easily teach or learn how to teach a puppy class, or for that matter, I'm about to say it, a kitten class. Kittens have to be the right age. You have to understand how to do these kitten classes. But the same idea, kittens have then a positive association with the carrier, the car ride, and the veterinary clinic. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? And if not that, at least happy kitten visits. Bring the kitten exactly. in. Yeah, for just to right. be touched and looked at and say, you are the cutest kitten I've ever seen. All good ideas, Debbie? Excellent ideas. In fact, that's how I started in behavior. I started teaching puppy classes at the vet hospital I was the head technician for. I think just because I actually, before I went back to school to become a technician, I was a preschool teacher and I was really interested in development and how we can affect behavior in humans, but also in animals as they're developing based on the experiences that they have. So that nurture and nature combination. And uh, that's how I got into behavior. In fact, Dr. Martin and I wrote a course, a curriculum that teaches technicians or trainers how to teach puppy classes in the veterinary hospital or in a training facility. And that's through Karen Pryor Academy. It gives them a full curriculum with PowerPoints and everything to, to implement. Well, that's excellent. I didn't know that. And uh, Karen Pryor Academy, that means you're focusing probably on clicker training, which is not a bad thing at all. Uh, right. The name of the book is Puppy Start Ride Foundation Training for the Companion Dog. Uh, you guys, you mentioned that you were, I didn't know you were a preschool or a kin kindergarten teacher, but I'm not surprised because you are among the best teachers out there on the circuit, Debbie Martin. Ken Martin, same for you. If you've not had the opportunity to hear these guys speak together or apart at a veterinary conference, you need to do that. Debbie Martin, Dr. Ken Martin, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. If you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings, access the new toolbox items, and find the additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing practice certification, get more details on the same site under the veterinary about section. And if you're a pet owner who just happened to stumble upon this podcast, you're lucky. You heard two of the best when it comes to animal behavior. Learn more about the resources we have for you at fearfreehappyhomes.com.